Welcome back to the 33rd edition of Living a Whole Christian Life. This is Dr. Jim Schrader, and it's great to be back with you as we continue to go through the physical dimensions of our lives. And we've talked before about diet and activity, but now we're going to enter in a series on sleep. And I hope you don't fall asleep on this one because actually there's a ton of, of fascinating things when it comes to sleep. And it's kind of interesting, as I went through graduate school and got a lot of training in psychology, it really wasn't until my first position as part of the sleep team at Cardinal Glennon Children's Hospital in St. Louis that I really began to appreciate the remarkable world of sleep and all the different things and and just all the science behind this. So as part of this series, at the beginning of here, I'm going to take you through a few statistics to really give you a sense of just the incredible world that we speak of when it comes to sleep. So here's a few things. One, the average person should sleep about 25 years in their lifetime. That's 25 years. Number two, infants on average sleep 14 to 15 hours a day, and toddlers spend half their day dedicated to sleep. And a lot of what we think there, what the science is starting to show, is that sleep is the time of intense, incredible growth of those younger years. And so sleep is so important as infants and toddlers get older. Another interesting fact is that not all mammals, in fact, most mammals don't sleep like we do as humans. Let me give you an example of giraffes. So giraffes sleep about an average of 30 minutes at a time and only about two hours in a typical day. So unlike us as humans, where we're, you know, we typically are ideally getting seven to nine hours of sleep, many mammals don't get the kind of sleep or aren't designed to get the kind of sleep that we are. And we'll talk more about why I think this is critical for us as human beings. Another really fascinating thing as we get into the world of sleep is this. Science has found that if you try to stay asleep as long as you can, within about 72 hours, your body actually starts to shut yourself down. It basically says to you, look, you need this so much that even if you're not going to prioritize it, I'm going to start doing this for you. And and that's what's called like micro sleeps, where you actually fall asleep without realizing that you're doing that. And, you know, people have tried to stay awake, not a good idea, by the way, for as long as they can over the centuries. And, you know, even when you get five to six, seven days, it's, it's virtually impossible to not just shut down. What's fascinating about this is that when you compare it to our need for food, which the average human being can live upwards of three weeks without food, what we find is that sleep, there's three times amount of time that we can live without food that we can without sleep. And so I always thought that this is kind of interesting to think about God's design here is that in many ways, sleep seems almost more important than the calories we take in. In 2013, there was an uh, article in Scientific American Journal, which basically the title said, quote, sleep's role in obesity, schizophrenia, diabetes, dot, 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 everything. And the article really summed up this idea well, and it went into a lot of different detail about the fact that sleep pretty much is connected to almost every major function for us as human beings. So again, here's some interesting facts to think about this. 90% of people with anxiety disorders have sleep-related problems, and the vice versa is often true in that way. Number two, healthy sleep-deprived kids, these are kids that are completely healthy, look a lot like kids with ADHD when you look at parent and even teacher rating scales. In fact, there's often the concerns, and this is really pertinent in my line of work, that kids are regularly misdiagnosed with ADHD when they're actually just sleep-deprived. Here's another one. If kids with obstructive sleep apnea, again, airway restriction, who have attention problems, 
get their tonsils and adenoids removed when they need them, the improvement in their attention is much better than medication. So again, there's a role here that you think about sleep and just airway restriction plays in a lot of psychological factors. Here's another one. Shortened sleep duration in young kids is associated with a lifelong risk of obesity. Again, there's a lot to do with sleep and the way it regulates our appetite. We'll talk more about even the growth hormone. But imagine that even sleep restriction at a young age is correlated with a lifelong risk of obesity. Long-term sleep deprivation in healthy adults mimics psychosis. So again, the longer you go without sleep, the more likely you're going to exhibit psychotic features like hallucinations and delusions. And if you have sleep apnea, you have a four times greater risk for depression. And if you have depression, your risk of sleep apnea is also four times greater. So as always, when I talk about science here, and if we're talking about good science, again, science that truly reflects what is, right? The reality that exists. What all this reflects is just God's design in the sense that God's design of sleep in our minds, in our bodies, is so incredibly important. And we can't get away from that. I mean, you know, the deeper I've gotten into the research in the last 15 or 20 years, I'm astounded at the links between all sorts of psychological, social, physical functioning and how it comes together with our sleep. And again, I want to emphasize here, we're all going to have sleepless nights. And as a father of eight kids, you know, sometimes you're not going to sleep well. But as we get deeper into this series about sleep, what we're really talking about is the question of our priority around sleep. You know, our sense of preservation in regards to our habits. And do we allow sleep to happen? Do we facilitate it in the things that we do? Or in essence, do we not allow it? Do we even disrespect it, as we'll talk more about? Despite all the links that sleep has with pretty much every area of functioning, the first really sad reality is that we are sleeping 20% less than we did a century ago. There's a lot of multimedia explanations, even looking at the role of traffic and lights and everything else, but we're sleeping 20% less than we did a century ago. Our teens are also the most sleep-deprived cohort on the planet. In general, our teens are getting an hour and a half to two hours less than that in this country. There's no doubt that that is a huge link with the increased psychiatric problems that we're seeing, not just with our teens, of course, with our adults, but especially with our teens. And linked with that as idea is that of upwards of 85% of teenagers take the phone with them to bed. Again, in essence, sleep is not the priority, but remaining connected is. Another startling statistic is that roughly half of five-year-olds have a TV in their bedroom. And again, if you're you know, listening out there and your child has a TV in the bedroom, I think this is a great chance to kind of reconsider, is that something that's good to do? And next week, we'll talk much more about ideas around preserving and really respecting sleep. But the reality is that already at a young age, even a five-year-old is quite linked in. So what we're seeing is, in essence, despite the tremendous functions that sleep plays in our lives, I think in general, the sad reality is that our society continues to try to find ways to get around our obvious need for sleep. And in essence, and I know this isn't the, often the intention, of course, if we are disrespecting God's design for the role that sleep plays in our life. Again, remember, 25 years of our life should be dedicated to sleep by the time we pass on. And I kind of feel like here's a few things that we're saying to God about sleep here. One is it's like we're saying to God, okay, God, I want my body to be able to repair and restore itself, to 
be able to come back from injuries, to be able to come back from, you know, feeling worn down and all the different ways that we want our body and mind to repair itself. But I am not willing to preserve the sleep that's designed to do this, right? In fact, I mean, slow wave sleep, stage three and four sleep, which is really critical around, you know, repair and design, we threaten to kind of really not only reduce that, but eliminate that from our lives by the way that we often prioritize or don't prioritize sleep. Here's another thing I feel like we're saying to God. God, I want my, you know, my muscle growth, you know, my metabolism to be at a healthy level. I want to feel good about the way I look. I want to feel good about my ability to be active. But I can't really prioritize the role that sleep plays in my life, even though what we know is that two-thirds of the growth hormone, which regulates muscle development, is secreted during sleep. Again, we say to God, we really want these things. God gives us this mechanism, and then we say, but I don't know if I can really prioritize that because a lot of other things are more important to me. Or it's like we're saying to God, I want my appetite and my blood sugar to be regulated in a healthy way, right? I don't want to be obese. I don't want to be overweight. I certainly don't want to deal with, you know, type 2 diabetes. But we're back to the same thing. But I really don't want to prioritize sleep. There's a lot of other things that get in the way. And we go on and on and on with this. And I think that this, you know, whether we intend it, of course, most of the time we're not intending this, but whether we even realize it, it's like we're kind of in an argument with God, I think, when it comes to this idea of sleep, which says it's not that we probably don't acknowledge at some level how important it is. It's just that we kind of don't like the design. I think that if we're all kind of honest about this, you know, in many ways, we'd say, look, I know I know it's built in. I, I get the idea that this is part of what you, you did here. But is there a way I can kind of get around this? Is there a way that we really don't have to sleep as much as we need to? In fact, here's one more thing I think that we kind of say to God, right? We say to God, okay, I really need a way to reset myself from what's been a tough day. And I, I just, I feel worn down again, or I feel like there's so many things I need to process from the emotional state, my desires, my experiences, which by the way, happens in our dreams in a very natural way. But once again, I'm not sure I can give you the time of night, not the time of day, of course, but the time of night to allow this to occur. And so here we go again. You know, it was interesting. It was probably a decade and a half ago. I was sitting across from this father one day and we were talking about kind of sleep. We found ourselves on this topic for various reasons. And he told me, he said to me very honestly, and I appreciate his transparency. He said, you know what? He said, for the last few decades, I have pretty much lived and done just fine on about four to five hours of sleep. He's like, you know what? I manage and I think it works well. And I think it's something that I'll probably continue to do. And as I'm listening to him describe this, I kind of challenged him on this because here was the situation in essence that he was about 40 pounds overweight. He acknowledged being chronically irritable, anxious, at times even depressed. He was divorced and he was estranged from his only child. And here he was sitting across from me talking about the fact that he had felt like he had really done just fine on four to five hours of sleep. And I realized once again that it wasn't like he was trying to counteract God's design. He just didn't see the relevance or the connection between the two. You know, his irritability and his estrangement and the divorce, he, there were lots of other reasons, even the obesity, that he could have constituted why that had occurred. But for him, sleep just seemed almost irrelevant. And I think that's what happens here. I think that, in fact, the sad thing is the idea, the topic of sleep itself actually puts us to sleep. 
when's the last time you really heard a great Christian commentary on the idea of sleep? Thousands and thousands of articles are written on things like abortion, things like gender diversity, on political issues. Again, I recognize these are, these are really important issues and we certainly should weigh in. But when's the last time you've heard a Christian commentary about the role of sleep? And in fact, you know, it's so interesting when I think about like even our seven deadly sins, you know, our Christian church, we like to focus a lot on things like issues of lust and greed and envy. Again, critical issues in the way that we draw ourselves away from God. But what do we call it when we take something like sleep given to us freely, completely without anything like no strings attached, and we in essence reject that? What do we call that? I mean, I guess you could argue we could call it sin or whatever you want, but I think that the issue here, and this is why this podcast, I think that this issue of living a whole Christian life is so, so critical, is that we take something that we spend 25 years of our life, and we seemingly, through our faith, make it almost irrelevant. And meanwhile, then we take issues that are so, you know, heightened and so controversial, and we spend our days critiquing and responding. And meanwhile, this little insidious thing that we do hours and hours a day, slowly slips by, right? Slowly slips by in a way that we almost just don't even pay attention to it. I thought about this, and and as we kind of like, you know, look at this idea even a little further, imagine God said to us, okay, I'm going to give you something that is, again, free, right? I'm going to give you something that's not only free, but you don't have to do anything. All you have to do is prioritize it. All you have to do is set up the habits around this, And beyond that, it requires no effort. And in the constant sense of it being free and requiring no effort, here's what you get in return. You get improved attention. You get decreased irritability. You get decreased anxiety. You sustain better mood over time. Your energy level, although at times it may wane, overall will be much better. Your ability to repair your injuries, your ability to deal with again, feeling worn down, will improve. Your organ functioning will get better, and and the systems in your body will not only be more regulated, they will maximize themselves in ways that you were designed to have. And oh, by the way, too, you know those difficult experiences, even those earliest sexual development, even all the things that you don't know how quite to deal with? This particular mechanism that's free, that requires no effort at all, it's going to help you in that too. It's going to process things in ways that are mysterious, but in ways that are as real as the table in front of you. And so I, as God, want to give this to you. I want to, I want to freely give this to you. And I, I'm just so happy that I can present it to you in front of you. And then we look at God and we say, mm, no thanks. Could you do it a different way? Because it seems kind of boring. It really, I, I've got a lot more interesting things to do. I've got a lot more important things to do. God, I, I'm really busy, God. You know, I'm a, I'm a father of eight kids. Don't you understand? I've got a lot of things to fit in here. You know, I've got a lot of ambitions. I've got a lot of desires. I've got people that want me to do things. And frankly, I've got just much more interesting things to do. So God, in essence, hands us this gift. And we say, as a society today especially, right? Ah, uh, no, thank you. 
but if we can if we can change a little bit, I might consider it. If I can if I can put a TV in my bedroom or if I can do some other things to make it a little bit more interesting, okay, I'll consider. But not really the way that you've designed it. And so again, if you're out there listening, you know, the idea of this, it's not to invoke guilt, but rather just honestly to make sleep even relevant. Because back to the question of you ever really heard a good commentary on sleep? I've been listening to homilies for 40 plus years of my life. And to this point, I've heard homilies about topics, certain topics over and over and over again. But I can tell you honestly that I have yet to hear a great homily on the role of sleep in our life. It happens to be the thing that we do more than anything else. It happens to dominate the needs of our body and our mind. And yet we as Christians leave it alone. So here we are tonight, and wherever you're at today, listening, and whatever's going on, let's just kind of raise the bar of curiosity here. Let's just raise the bar of kind of consideration of this incredible gift. And if you and if you say to me, I've never slept well at all, it's not incredible at all, well, next week we're going to talk more about that, and I get that. Again, the key here is not to say that we can always sleep well. The key question we're asking tonight is, do I prioritize this gift? Do I give it its time and its due? And that, that is, again, the essence of as we go through these physical dimensions of our lives and we tie in this final dimension, we have those three pillars of health, but really the three pillars of our physical dimension, sleep, diet, activity. When we start to see all three of those as gifts, we find ourselves in a much better, much more enlightened place, a place of God's light coming through into our lives. This is Jim Schrader. Be holy, be holy.